Welcome to True Blue Cubs, my brand new podcast focusing on the Chicago Cubs. This is the True Blue Cubs podcast, everybody. This is episode two of the 2021 season. Big shout out and big thanks to everyone who listened to episode one that dropped on opening day morning. or No, the day before opening day. What am I saying? And we will recap the Cubs' uh, latest series. They took two out of three from the Pittsburgh Pirates. I'm very excited for today's episode. Bo, let me finish. I had episode one. If you're listening to this for the first time, go back to episode one because I talked to the director of morale for the Chicago Cubs, Dom Frederick, who's got one of the most popular Cubs Twitter accounts out there. A great dude, great person. Has really uh, gives back to a lot of charity, a diehard Cubs fan, uh, the essence of a true blue Cubs fan. So I think you're going to dig that one. So definitely go back and check that out. Now, today's podcast, I'm very, very excited for. It's someone I've podcasted with. I've probably done like 50 episodes of podcasts with this guy, at least, if not more. We used to have a podcast together called Comedians Talking Baseball, which never really goes away. Who knows? Maybe we'll resurrect that again. He's got a great podcast called Hunk with Mike Bridenstine. Also, I feel like <laughs> there's a problem when you when someone has their name in a podcast. You should say it last. <laughs> the trick to introducing someone is you name their credits, then you say the name last. But I've already mm-hmm. said his name. He's also been on the Eric Andre show. He's been on Comedy Central on the Vine's House Party. He's got an album that you could get, you should buy on uh, Apple or wherever you buy your albums for uh, stand-up comedy called The Hungry Wolf Hunts Best. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, Mike Bridenstein. What up, Brido? Good to see you, buddy. Red Mamba, good to see you. Yeah, man. He helped give me the nickname Red Mamba that I used recently. And um, hopefully this is the year that Red Mamba really takes off as a nickname for me. I think it's the year of the Mamba. Yes. Hell yes. So Mike's actually wearing an Angels head now. That's his American League team. We'll get to all that later. But Mike, <laughs> yeah. and again, great talking to you. Your, your Cubs credentials go way back. You've been a diehard Cubs fan your whole life. Let's talk about that, man. Why the Cubs? How did you get into being a Cubs fan? I grew up in eastern Iowa, 50%. Cubs, 50% Cardinals. The White Sox were starting to come on TV, and there was some, you know, when Bo Jackson and Frank Thomas come around, that starts to get some looks also from from people. Plus, they got that awesome black and white hat, so there was some interest in the White Sox. But the Cubs and the Cardinals were the big rivalry. My grandfather, who was uh, the big baseball fan in the family, really liked the Cubs. He was around this particular summer when I was like, I like baseball. What team should I like? And basically everybody in my family was like, you like the Cubs in this house. That was that was how it was decided. And I went to my first game when I was five years old. And then two years later, the Hawk comes around in 87, and I was sold completely. They're on TV. They got a guy hitting dingers. They're fun. It's during the day when I'm a kid, I can watch it on TV. And they were close enough. So uh, we would go every now and then. You got your Sandberg. You got your Dawson. You got your Grace. You got the 89 Cubs around there. I was just sold, 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 sold. It was right when I'm getting into baseball, right when baseball cards are huge. I mean, what am I? I'm a Cardinals fan. Why? Because a guy does backflips on opening day? No, thank you. Yeah, you chose wisely. And what a great era, too. You're right. Late 80s. The Cubs were coming on strong in 89. They had some great personalities. And of course, the, the baseball card explosion, a yeah. rebirth, really, because I think baseball cards were right. big when our dads were kids and all that. But I do want to address the Iowa thing, because yeah. you and I, on my other podcast, on the bonus episode, that's right, I'm, I'm getting right into a Patreon plug. Check out patreon.com slash Joe Kilgallen to hear this episode for as little as $3 a month. You and I talked about our favorite baseball movies, and we talked Field of Dreams. 
Yes. And dude, I had to immediately rewatch it. This was like last week you and I talked. Oh, was an update for me. Okay. Yes, I do have an update for you. And I think you'd agree with this. I can't remember the actor's name, but the actor they got to play the old and also spoiler alerts, everybody for, <laughs> for a 1989 movie Oscar yeah. winner. Correct. Did it win? the? No, maybe it was nominated though. Yeah. 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 Should have been nominated if not, yeah. but the actor who plays the old version of moonlight Graham. Oh, uh, Bert, uh, Lancaster? yeah. So when he leaves, if you're watching this, I'm going to do the motion that he does. Like he says goodbye to everybody. He takes his hand and he just goes like, kind of like that's his like sign off. So every picture of me at the field of dreams, I went one year with Mike Holmes, who's from Waterloo, Iowa comedian, Kumail Nanjiani, who's from Marvel movies. And, uh, Tony Sam, Brooke Van Poplin. We were going to do this like Chuck show in Cedar Falls. We went there and so everybody's doing like the the Burt Lancaster Moonlight Graham goodbye after he saves the daughter from choking on the hot dog. It's such a like an old, like what, 1920s, like it's yeah. almost I think the sign language for thank you. Isn't that thank you? That hand gesture kind of well, he kind of looked like, you know what? I'll you know what I'll see you around. Thanks yeah, for it was really yeah. cool. But I was going to say that might be some of the best casting in movie oh. history because he is so perfect to play this nice old man doctor yeah. who was very happy with every decision he made in his life, but he still regrets that one thing, even if he can't admit it to himself. And then when he saves the daughter from choking, he can't go back because once he crosses the line, he can't go back to being a young ball player and the whole you know ghost baseball player uh, you know, portion of the movie. <laughs> He's like, you know what? This is where I belong, saving young children, being a doctor. I'm happy with the time I got with baseball. That moment almost made, almost made me think of the one line in Moneyball where it's like we're all told we can no longer play the kids game anymore. Some are told at 18, some are told at 40, but eventually we're all told. And he almost needed that reminder of it. Yeah. Uh, also fun casting. There's a scene where it's like a chaotic gymnasium where they're mad about farming stuff or school stuff. I can't recall banning but books, banning books. Okay. And one of the, the main people trying to hold the town hall meeting in real life is author Kurt Vonnegut who went to the university of, of slaughter. I, yeah. I thought that was him yeah. and he's great in that too. Yeah. yeah. He's so soft-spoken saying, no, no, no. Terrence Mann was a great, you know, he's like, he's defending everything that that crazy woman saying. Yeah, yeah. And just a great movie overall. It really does make you just romantic about baseball, and it hits differently as a dad now. Or it, it, does, it doesn't even matter, because it, it made me cry before I became a dad. Um, yeah. But it's just uh, that end part. Hey, Dad, you want to have a catch? Just... And it's the it's the beauty of a, an old-timey baseball. Because, like, people love, when they think of baseball, they love – like when you're basically wearing old timer clothes, regardless of if you're intending to or not, like those uniforms, you know, are old timey, the high socks are just like fashion of the time. It's just an old feeling sport. So you get the, you know, the beauty of the nostalgia of the old timer baseball stuff with like at the time, modern, you know, current day things, you know, yeah, absolutely. I agree with everything you said. It's summed up very nicely in um, uh, uh, why am I blanking on his name? Earl Jones. James. Thank you, James Earl. Base, J- baseball Ray. I couldn't think. Yeah, Ray. Um, 
yeah, he plays Terrence Mann, and he says this whole thing about people will most definitely come. Yeah. And he talks about how baseball's been the one constant and everything like that. There's so much. Oh, this was opening weekend, everybody. And there is something special about baseball, even though I think opening day is slightly overrated. Sorry, diehard listeners, because it's usually such a cold. I've been to a lot of opening days oh. at Wrigley. Oh, I've soured out the Well, because it's usually like 39 degrees. Your brain goes, baseball game, nice and warm. And then you're, even if it's 40 degrees, you're just fucking miserable. Yeah, you have to get really drunk to really enjoy the whole thing because after the second or third inning of just like we're back, this is great. You're kind of like this. There's a bar. I want to. I want to push back on this a little bit because I was and I was still cold. Yeah, you're right. I, alcohol doesn't warm you up as much as people think. That's kind of a I mean, myth. It doesn't hurt, but you know. Yeah, definitely. I think too. Um, there's something about baseball that's summed up so perfectly in, in like, you know, the speech that uh, James Earl Jones gives. It's an ambiance that no other sport has. I mean, people could, you know, if you think if someone says football is more exciting, I'm not going to argue with them. If they're into basketball more, that's fine. But I've gone to football and basketball games and it's great. There's an atmosphere, but baseball has this. There's smells, there's sounds, there's just a feeling um, especially if you grew up in the Midwest, like we did, where it's like a changing of the season, you go from this, just misery of winter to, oh yes, we have got some great months ahead of us now. And, and baseball is like the thing that just marks that so perfectly. So game five, what was the game where a Rosarina scores in the world series? Like, and he slaps the plate and the guy and homeboy does like the airplane, uh, out in the outfield, like, I would put that the ending of that game up against almost any sporting event, football included. Guess what? Tom Brady's going to win. You're fucking lying to yourselves about how exciting this shit is. And then they all like get concussions and shoot themselves in the chest. Fuck football. <laughs> Fuck it. Dude, I definitely think football is overrated. You know what football has? It owns a day of the week. It was genius marketing PR strategy to be like, we're every Sunday, it's football, it's Sunday. Because I will catch myself just having the game on in the background. I'm not as intently watching it. Um, I did when I played fantasy football. That's another thing that they made really easy for people to go along with. But you're right, dude. The end of that game five of the World Series, you're not going to get a better ending. And baseball, just there's for the people who think baseball slow, this is not the podcast for you. It just really isn't. I'm going to tell you that right now. I mean, Alabama's going to win. Yeah, baseball hasn't had a repeat champion in since 2000, 99-2000. Who's going to win this year? We don't fucking know. It could be the Dodgers, but it could not be the Dodgers. Like, There's a good eight to ten teams it could be. And I know I just said that number of teams that make the playoffs, essentially. But it's really true, though. But baseball is, is unpredictable. Clayton Kershaw famously chokes in the playoffs. If you're telling me the Dodgers are going to repeat, I could be like, Kershaw, though. What about Kershaw? What about a lot of things? It's baseball. It's unpredictable. It really is such a great sport for that reason alone. Someone said it perfectly once, I, and I'm, I'm mad I don't know who to attribute this quote to, but this, one of the beautiful things about baseball is it sets the moment like no other sport really, you know? So, you know, there's second and third with, you know, two outs, a lefty pitcher comes in to face a left-handed batter. Are they going to walk? You know, all there's all this strategy. The moment is set for you. You know, like bases loaded, full count. Oh, it's 
you know, a two, one pitch is the runner going to go two, one's a good count to steal. There's just so many like factors where like other sports basketball, look, I've, if you're a basketball fan, I'm not going to dump on you. And if you're fans of these other things, I'm not going to dump on you. But I will say you're wrong because baseball is the best. Basketball scoring, scoring, scoring. It really is all about the last two minutes. And the last two minutes of a basketball game could be 45 minutes long sometimes. Fouls. Fouls. Hockey is a great sport. One of my favorite sports to go to live because it's nonstop action. But in hockey, they don't. It's a shock when someone scores or they're surprised. It's like passes, redirect, and it's like, you know, there's all these things going. That's why hockey announcers have to talk so fast, kind of like I am right now. And, but baseball. You started talking faster just because just you're talking about hockey. I felt like I, I dialed it up a notch for hockey. Um, but baseball definitely, I think in, in um, yeah, I think George Will said in, Ken Burns documentary that one of the beautiful things about baseball is it allows for conversation. Allows for conversation. Yes. I was like, that was in Ken Burns. I forgot who said it, but you're sitting there, you're talking, here comes a pitch. Like it's boring. If you don't know the rules, you're like, why are they doing that? You know? And so, you know, you, you get in trouble for mansplaining, but you can explain with respect to whoever doesn't understand male, female, or non-gender conforming individual, your knowledge and help them to make it not as boring. Like this is what's going on. You know, it's, it's not the job of the TV announcer to be like, here's what the rules of this fucking game are. But I just, I just feel like if you think it's boring, you don't understand what is happening. Agreed. 100% agreed. I, you reminded me of a time in which I was at Wrigley Field, and um, I took my wife to her first Cubs game. We weren't married at the time. We were just dating, and uh, she didn't know what a balk was. And I'll admit, listeners, you're not going to like me for this, but I responded kind of dickishly. I was kind of just like, you don't know what a balk is? Are you serious right now? And then I then should have realized, okay, Joe, she doesn't. she's not a diehard baseball fan. She's not a psycho like you. But I think I was more like, I can't believe you said that out loud. People around me are going to think you're an idiot. And I don't want people thinking you're an idiot. I was, look, I was like 18 at the time. So it was really stupid of me to to be that way. Because I remember telling you this story. You're like, yeah. you know, I could see people not knowing what a balk is. But in my brain, <laughs> in my obsessive baseball yeah. brain, I'm like, how is a balk should be like, you you know, it should be right up there. with. The, the you, reacted, you reacted like she said, what are the sticks? <laughs> like what does each base mean you know what i mean like that's my horrible reaction to that now you mentioned going to your first cubs game when you were five years old yes that is also the age in which i went to my first cubs game i have by a four-year-old way, son he's a year away by the I, way i the like internet the... the internet has let me know which game i went to oh that's amazing and i discovered with Brendan McGowan, friend of uh, friend of ours, uh, that it was his first game was also my first game. Same first game. I'm five. He's fucking two or something. That's crazy. Yeah. Who they play? The Padres. Because they it was 1985. The Padres had eliminated the Cubs in the NLCS best of five. The year before, the famous uh, Jody Davis, uh, Steve Garvey game. And Garvey is seen as the hero of that series, much like Leon Durham is seen as the goat of that series. And every time Garvey came up to bat, 
he got booed mercilessly by the Wrigley fans. And I, and I remember Sandberg hitting a home run and people telling me that Sandberg was the best player. Like I'm five. I'm not, uh, I'm, I like he man. And so this, the sports thing is for, for bigger kids. You know what I mean? Like, well, I think five is such a good age to go to your first Cubs game, mainly because you remember it. Yeah. 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 Now me with my reputation as being a diehard Cubs fan and having a son that just turned four a month ago and another son who's going to turn two, like at the end of this month, actually, people have asked me, they go, hey, you've taken your kid to a Cubs game yet, right? And I'm, well, obviously with the pandemic last year, I was right. like, asked that with my youngest son. But I was like, yeah. no, they're like, oh, I would have thought you would have been one of those parents that took your kid when he was a baby. And all. I'm like, no, I'm sorry. I think that's crazy because going to Wrigley Field for the first time is such a special thing. It's such a monumentous occasion that you should remember. It should be for you as much as it's for who's ever taking you, whoever has the the privilege of taking someone to their first Cubs game. I luckily got to take my wife to her first Cubs game. I got a couple like good friends of mine I took to their first Cubs games like growing up. And it's kind of a cool thing to be like, I was there to see you, you know, experience this Mecca of baseball and this, this federal landmark now, um, so I told people, I'm like, no, I'm not taking my sons until they're five on their fifth birthdays. Although my son uh, will be five in February. I'll take him. Maybe I'll take him to opening day next year because I want him to remember that experience because I remember we had upper deck tickets and then I, I discovered I was afraid of scared. Hike. Yep. Okay. I remember the story. So you've decided that you don't want to do the selfish dad thing, which, exactly. which is the photo of the kid, the baby. At with Wrigley behind you. Don't want it. Joe, that's a great photo, though. It's a great photo op. You holding, hear me out, a baby who will have no memory of this whatsoever. <laughs> I don't need the likes on Instagram. I got enough of those. Where are all the people that are like, because like I remember being five. I remember walking in the fucking tunnel, just like everybody, or you walk, it's dark, it's dark, it's dark, it's green as all fuck. And you're like, wow. What is what is this? You know, those are that's that's literally Ryan Sandberg. That's you know the guy. That's you know I went to the Kingdom in like '96. It's like that's Ken Griffey Jr. The guy on my wall is right there. Like it's crazy. You, where are all the people that are like I've been going since I was a fucking baby, dude? Like I like to think those people aren't fans anymore because yeah. I have this, you know, what always cracks me up and I absolutely hate this when announcers yeah, say yeah. this because they don't know when someone catches a foul ball, announcers always say, give it to a kid. You don't know. I could be keeping that ball, taking it home to my kid, putting it on the mantle for my two-year-old being like, one day this will be yours. Or you don't know, maybe I want to give it to my old man who's, you know, not doing so well, which luckily my dad's doing great, everybody. But like, I, I just hate that the announcers are always like, give it to a kid, make a fan for life. I guarantee you there's a bunch of kids out there who got baseballs and could give a shit about baseball right now. We just yeah. automatically assume that's going to lock them in forever. On your album, you talk about like, fuck me, right? Like gorgeous shoulders what like how many foul balls did you say i've caught three foul balls in my life really i mean a batting practice ball i gave to my brother um yeah i I, know that by now that you can i give it back i back it up a little bit because people (laughs) no it's like the joke is like uh 
you're going to how this. I can't complain about anything yeah, yeah, because I've yeah, had yeah. such a great life. And that's a bad thing as a comedian, because most of comedy is complaining. And yeah. one of the things I say is, um, I'm a straight white guy. I've got, yeah. uh, I've caught three foul balls in my life. Killer shoulders. I just wanted to do the joke some justice. Not that you weren't bright out, but I'm imagining this is a new podcast where I'm inviting a lot of Cubs fans who may, maybe they don't know my stand up comedy. I forgot. Go to YouTube. I forgot, I forgot what I did. Which was the point was how many foul balls have you gotten to? But I did the thing where I did the context clues to you to 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 let you know like which joke I was talking about, but forgot there was an audience and that the comedian whose joke it is is like right next to me and that I uh, maybe didn't do the joke perfectly verbatim with com- with a comedian's timing. So Joe's thinking, fuck the foul balls. They're gonna think that this my joke is whatever the fuck this idiot's saying. Yeah, I do. I couldn't let that slide. <laughs> I get it. Okay, so the foul ball thing, the first time I heard it, it affected me in a way that if you just a little jab, just like a just like a little jab, like right in the like I was like, how many fucking how many foul it's like it'd be like if you told me like um you know uh Monsanto, my dad is senior vice president there. It's like that's just like what it would make me feel like. Just one of those things that's so shocking. It's one of those things when old people, they immediately go, yeah, I kind of hate you for that. It's because that's a dream. Everyone dreams of catching a foul ball. Dreams of it. I don't know. It just, I just got good. I've got, I'm like the Forrest Gump of baseball moments. I saw Jake Arrieta's no hitter in LA. Oh my God. Oh yeah. I know. Brido hates this getting brought up because he turned down tickets to it. Cause you'd already gone to the, it was the Sunday night game. You'd already gone Friday, Saturday. Do you know what Saturday was? I can't remember what Saturday was. Bachelor party. Oh yeah. Your bachelor party. That's hilarious. I thought I was at your bachelor party. Did you have two bachelor parties? No, but I got a little drunker than you. There you go. There you go. You did. Your bachelor party is a lot of fun. Jumbo's Thanks. Clown Room in LA, everyone. Check it out. Yeah. So many, many stops, but that was one of them. Yeah. Many, we had many stops, but that one was, I think, my favorite because it was my first time ever there. And I really enjoyed it because I'd heard so much about it. But dude, man, I mean, I I don't know. What else have I seen? I was at the playoff game. You were at a few playoff games too, but I was at the playoff game where Arietta hit the three on Horror for Bumgarner. I went up to San Francisco. Oh, that was, right. was fun about living in California those years. And let's talk about the 2016 season because you're wearing an Angels hat. That's your American League team, and you've been rocking yeah. the hat because it's new. I like that Angels logo. It's from the Angels in the Outfield movie era of the lo- of the team. I would never wear a red hat, just so you know. But I yeah. like I like these. I was kind of wanting something new. I also got a Brooklyn Dodgers hat just to just to you know try something. You know what? I've always I want to get a listeners. Hear me out now. I've lived I lived in Los Angeles for three years, and. I, I don't like the Dodgers at all. I really don't like them. It's a great hat. I, it's a great hat. I love the stadium too. But I found a way I around it. I found who, a way around it. Yes, there's no way around it. You're right. No, but I found a way. My wife went to USC for grad school, so I got the hat in USC colors. Oh, I like that. I was thinking about getting the Brooklyn Dodgers hat, but because I really like that that B and it's yeah. close enough to the modern Dodgers. But I also yeah. want to get like the LA. I do have a couple like Dodger souvenir cups because I have a souvenir cup from every stadium I've ever been to. So how yeah. do I not have a few of those? But I want to get the Dodger hat and just kind of put it on a shelf next to like my Cubs hat. And if I ever live in anywhere else, which I don't want to, I think I'm Chicago for life now. Um, but, you know, as a comedian, who knows? I might have been in New York one day. And that's where I got the idea from. I know someone who's lived in Chicago, L.A., and New York. 
and they have all three of those hats like on a shelf and they're not even into baseball. They just chose those three hats because it was like, I, get it. Lived. I like it. I think it's good. Yeah. It's, it's sweet as hell. So the 2016 season started with now I, the Cubs played, you know, with interleague play, they played um, the uh, American league West. So they yeah. opened that season against Anaheim. They yeah. also played in Oakland. Um, I didn't see them when they played in Texas or Seattle, but I got to see them every California stop that year because you and I and two other comedian friends of ours, Brennan McGowan and Matt Dwyer, we got so into the 2015 Cubs yes. that we started a text thread that we still have to this day in which we really don't talk baseball at all anymore. It's really morphed into all sorts of different stuff. <laughs> we're just friends. Now we're just friends. <laughs> we're just friends now. Yeah. <laughs> it used to be. Am I friends with these guys or is this just about the Cubs? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we all kind of got hyped for the 2016 season and we went all out as often as we could, starting with the 2016 uh, home opener. I, mean, I, went to, opener. I went to spring training. Yeah, dude. And you met our favorite player of all time, Andre Dawson, in spring training of that year. I, You'll always have signing, that on me. Yeah. I mean, I didn't meet him, but I, he was, he was signing autographs. I got a photo and a ball. The ball is right there. God, why can't I point? There it is. <laughs> I'm in a mirror. So it's like, no, I hear you. It's, I do that all the time when I try to point. Like, see, I went to might go point to the other thing. I pointed at my Chris Bryant cardboard yeah. cutout behind me. Yeah, Dawson. Uh, it was I. I could barely speak. I reacted the way that Ralphie in a Christmas Story reacts to Santa Claus. My wife spoke for me, and didn't quite understand uh, what, what the big deal is. I have a. I have my Hawk poster in the background. Also, I. He was my favorite player growing up. Mine too. I think. Th- I don't know what it was about him. He's one of those dudes that, you know, obviously he went through a ton to like play because of all the knee injuries and everything like that. He just had a quiet swagger, I guess you could say. He was, he, yeah, he had a confident badassness about him that when, for whatever reason, he looked mean in a way that was like, good, I want him to look mean. You know what I mean? Right. Because as much as I love bat flips and all that stuff, I mean, you and I are both big fans of that kind of baseball. I kind of like the way Andre Dawson would. I remember this one play where he threw a guy out at third. The guy was trying to stretch a double into a triple. And Mitch he, Webster. I, well, he'd done it a few times, but this time it was Mitch Webster because that was like one of the more famous highlights because it looked like he, Dawson had no business throwing this guy out, but it was an absolute cannon of an arm he had. And he just threw a complete seed right to the third baseman. And even Webster kind of got up like, what? Was that when it goes into the bullpen? It went along like the guardrail yeah. there. Yeah, and that's the, the famous Mitch Webster against the Expos. And that was like their old teammate, too. So they were just like, fuck. Yeah, dude. So it was, he had the run to the umpire, called him out. He like, his hat came off. He learned to pick up his hat. And he had this look on his face like, how dare you? You know, he would never say it, though. <laughs> yeah. but he just, and the way his batting stance was, I just watched oh. a highlight of him hitting a home run off of Roger Clemens in the 1991 all-star game. And it was a fastball that was just a little low on outside and the way he just kind of like just tomahawk chopped it in a way where he just kind of like these quick he wrists. Had, yeah. He had, he he had very, and meeting him, he's a big dude. Like he's bigger than his playing size. But if you look at him in this poster, like uh, he's got like, such a pronounced V-shaped body and like little hips. And this is all before, you know, steroids and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So guys were like slim back then too, in, a, in a way that they're not. Plus the, they were, um, 
kind of tighter fitting stuff, I guess, too. Like if you picture like what Manny Ramirez wore on the diamond, like big pants and that sort of thing, like those guys were just like, you know, that's the Larry Bird's shorts of jerseys. You know Isn't I mean? it weird how depending on what you're wearing could make you look less athletic? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And all those guys, like they wore kind of baggy stuff in the, late 90s 2000s because that's you know what everybody was doing but it's it makes farnsworth like kyle Far- kyle farnsworth wore tight fitting pants and it was like weird that guy had some like massive like quads though i mean some people pull it off but you're right there was dawson part of the nickname the hawk was because he had like this skinny waist and like a big torso you know he get a big chest and and broad shoulders uh ryan dempster not bragging everyone but i've had him in my other podcast and he told me that andre dawson i think when dempster was with the marlins like coming up you know dawson this is early 2000s he was a special assistant so he was probably in his mid forties then. I think he, yeah, probably mid to late forties at that point. Dawson would be curling sixty-five pound dumbbells. Like, a, Jesus, ridiculous! How strong that dude is. Man, that's that's a very heavy curl. Yeah, right? <laughs> I mean, I went to a gym with uh, gorillas, and they weren't doing that. But then again, nobody at my gym is doing biceps. What do you do, a big bench press gym? I, I went to a big bench press gym, yeah. There you go. Well, all right, man. But Dawson, dude, yeah, he had the he had the he was a five tool player. Obviously, you know, we've we've talked about it before a million times with each other about how his profile didn't really fit the the game the last 10 to 15 years because he was such a first pitch swinging type of guy. And his on base percentage for his career was like maybe 330, 329 or something like that, which isn't very good overall. Slugging percentage was about 500, though, which is very good. Right. It was just so much more, though. I think that the 80s were just a different decade. And part of me is thinking, do we miss that as fans? Do we want to see some of those stat lines? I mean, Eric Davis had yeah, 80 yeah. home bases one year and hit 28 home runs. And even Tony Gwynn hit, stole 50 bases one season early in the 80s. It was crazy. The stolen bases and swinging early in the count and more contact approach than what we see the last 10 years so ted williams got shifted on by lou boudreau pretty famously and and ted williams was like a like uppercut dude we got we were taught to swing down like we're chopping wood at the ball like so that's the late 90s and the game is completely played the strategy is completely different hitting wise so i I think that if someone said you're not you're you're taking for a strike, uh, a walk's as good as a hit. We will incentivize on base percentage with your salary. Uh, pitchers are going to be slide stepping to first. You're not stealing. Also, if you get injured, uh, that's uh, that fucks us with our investment into you. I think that you would start to see some different statistics because it is weird how. Nobody has like a 400 on base percentage, like a quote unquote good starting point is like a 400 on base percentage. I mean, that's good for, for good for as in like that. Wow. That's an all-star um, like n- from nobody having that to like almost like a ton of people having that the strategy changed and that's coaching. And so Dawson was a product of his time. 
Yes. I like that. I, I, I try to warn people that when you're looking at different eras to really think about the era in which they're playing. Like NBA players weren't shooting threes nearly right. as frequently as they are now. So it's kind of right. like the same equivalent. Back then, they just didn't teach hitters, hey, let's let's grind out at bats because we want to yeah. get into the middle relief and all that kind of thinking. Also, pitchers pitched a little bit deeper. Yeah. But not as deep as everyone thinks, though. You turned me on to that great book, Ahead of the Curve by Brian Kenny. Uh, so here's a fun fact for everyone. Starting pitchers in 1900 completed 96% of their starts or something like that. Bullpen pitchers were rarely used. By 1960, it was only maybe 50% of pitchers were complete games. Now it's like 1%. If I don't even think it's 1% anymore of the starting pitcher is going to finish the game. So it's pretty crazy how much that's regressed. But guess what? If if it turned out a pitcher gets better into the game, I mean, they, they just they're trying to win. It's not like guys are bigger pussies than they were like in 1900. Those guys were malnourished. A lot of them like were just like immigrant coal miner kids who like, that's the only job they could get. Like they, I mean the best pitcher of the Yankees, like whatever Herb Pennick or whatever, like had half a foot. Like all these guys are not, they're not even necessarily athletes. These guys. You are such a baseball historian. What is your favorite random like Cubs deep historical fact that you're still oh. like, I can't believe this. My fa- Okay. You want to go deep, deep, the, the beginning of the Cubs uh, in, in eight from 1871 to 1875 before quote unquote major league baseball, before the national league, there was the national association. It's a forgotten league where these guys had stats and, and you know, it's the beginning of the beginning. Like Cap Anson played for this league. Um, you know, a lot of the original, like they're, they're in the Hall of Fame as pioneers, Harry Wright, Candy Cummings, like um, these types of uh, – uh, Al Spaulding was the best pitcher in baseball for this league. And they have this elite all-star team in Boston – known as the Boston Red Stockings. And they're so fucking good that basically the they were like, we got to break up this goddamn team. So this guy in Chicago gets Cap Anson, who's from Iowa. Also, Cap Anson, by the way, worst human being ever. But they get him uh, to, to kind of jump ship to the Chicago team along with uh, – Al Spaulding and a ton of the other all-stars from that team. And they're like, we're on, uh, we're on the Chicago white stockings. Now we rebuilt our stadium from this fire that we had from this cow. And the national association is like, you can't do that. And they're like, cool. Then we're a new league. We're the national league. And the way that the fucking national league started was how the fuck can this other league say that they're the the like the A league when all the best players are on this team and everybody knows it. So the 1876 Chicago White Stockings are the beginning of that league and they were just like such a fuck you team that they their best player was Ross Barnes by the way. This guy Ross Barnes not in the Hall of Fame but he would do this thing where he just kept on bunting balls foul. 
like over and over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> until they were like, okay, new rules. This guy's like fucking, uh, just to, he has to stop doing that. <laughs> so they made rules. It was like the Al Cinder dunk rule. Like they, to stop this dude from being good. And then like after that, by the way, and this is like, I love this era because it's like maddening how different it was baseball players could call for where the pitch what they wanted would be and pitchers uh had to throw it underhand but the tricks that they did were like insane guys still threw no hitters in perfect games ps and you'll find out that like this dude was the first guy to ever have a wind up right and and then like so he would like these guys are just like like legit looked like they were winding their bodies up and it freaked the batters out so bad. There was another guy who threw a new no hitter. Like if you look up like 1880 no hitter or like 1800s no hitters and you look and see who did it, and then like you go to their Wikipedia pages, it'll be like this dude gave the batter an extemporaneous. 15 minute speech before he threw every fucking pitch. Like, I'm not shitting you. It's like that crazy. And these guys are all like, their names are like one eyed Pete, like Sullivan. And like some of these players, like their names are just like the only Nolan. And they'll be, they'll be like, what was his name? They'll be like, we don't know. We just found the score sheet. (laughs) This guy showed up (laughs) who fucking knows. It's like a like, little league Joe F starting at third. Yeah. And, but it's like people piecing together this shit from like newspapers and like, and these guys were just like, they worked at the lumber mill and like bullshit like that. Um, so they're throwing underhand from 50 feet from a box and slowly, like, you know, it starts to evolve like anything does. And that's what's, what's kind of beautiful about about it is that like you got to see the evolution of it so it might look unrecognizable just like you know a peach basket or like a guy with a helmet um like a leatherhead helmet with like no face mask might look crazy but they're still playing 90 percent the same game and defense was the thing you know like these guys are barehanded and they're throwing like this mush ball Guys are spitting onto the. They find out they can spin the ball crazy if they spit on it. Like there's all kinds of fun stuff that evolves until. So I guess modern modern baseball, the way that it is played now, is essentially Babe Ruth forward because Babe Ruth invented a thing, and fans liked it a bunch. It's and and that's like its own crazy fucking thing, and a lot of those Babe Ruth stories, you know, the the called shot. I mean that's that's in Wrigley Field, you know. So, if, so uh, I, I do a I do a thing for my Patreon where I review the World Series games, and so that's 1903 uh, is when you know that starts, and I've gotten to 1949, and it kind of helps me learn like a lot of this old lore, and like something like oh, and like you'll learn things that you didn't pick up in the Ken Burns series or from like other baseball books, or it's and and what's your Patreon real quick. Patreon.com slash Brido, B-R-I-D-O. Um, Perfect. And that's in the dollar tier. So Get on it, everybody. You get a whole like baseball almanac, but like in a fun way, because I think you're a great writer. Now, how did the Cubs go from the white stockings 
or white stocking. I feel like I'm saying like they're stalkers. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, the yeah. White dudes were stalking people. How'd they go from the white stockings to the Cubs? Well, it's kind of it's kind of strange because the nicknames were not official. So they wore white stockings. And so like that was their thing. And newspapers like didn't want to write stockings the whole time. So they would say stuff like SOX. Like that's why you get that because it fit in the headline better. But they were Cap Anson's team for the longest. And so people associated them with him. And the, you know, he becomes like an old man. Mm-hmm. They call him Pops. Right. And so when he leaves, the, the team had lost their pops. So now they're the orphans. So they became like the orphans, like just dumb shit. Right. Yeah. Um, so the like, whales for a minute, the whales was the federal league team that played okay. at Wrigley. Um, but yeah, the Cubs was like, they were young. Some, some, I mean, it's all kind so of a like, newspaper just were like, this is a young team. They're a bunch of young Cubs and that's essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad it, it did though, because I love the name. Yeah, and it made sense in like 2016 when that team forms, and they're all like 23 years old, playing you know too young to really comprehend pressure. That's what I felt like, and I um, let's let's go back to that. We were starting to talk about the 2016 Cubs. Yeah, I got sidetracked by bragging about Dawson at spring training. No, because you you needed to brag to, about something over my foul ball uh, success. Again, magical year. We were so hyped from 2015. Going, I I think the 2016 thing was really cool. I remember you and I talking about it once. Dexter Fowler comes back the day before spring training in this WWE way, which you know we're built great. wrestling fans, so that was awesome. That was great. And then and then the season starts where again they win nine nothing right away. I think they took. I think they might. Did, they only played two games against Anaheim, maybe, or they swept them. But their and run then, differential by that point was like so out of control. That was like, wow, how good is this team? Because they weren't just beating teams; they were beating the crap out of teams. Yeah. yeah, I remember seeing Jeff Garland outside of the Improv, and I'm wearing a Cubs hat. And I had met him once, but he didn't really know like that he had met me once. And he saw I was wearing a Cubs, and he's like, "Did they win?" And I was like on my phone, and I was kind of like, "Of course." And I went right back to my conversation. I felt really cool because it's like, oh, you're going to curb your enthusiasm. I, I kind of wanted to put my phone down and be like, hey, man, I'm from Chicago. Let's talk about being Chicago guys. And stuff. <laughs> but I was just like, of course. And I remember that whole year. I remember one time, you know, the Bulls were had a, a bad falling out that year. I think I think they might have got bounced from the playoffs or something. And then, you know, people were hoping the Blackhawks would repeat after 15. They didn't. And then the Bears had a bad draft. And I remember saying to myself, hey, at least we got the Cubs. And as a Chicago sports fan, I was never able to say, Yes, we got the Cubs. Like that Never. just felt so great. It just had such a different feel for it. And um, and you were writing on you were writing a weekly blog too that year. Yeah, that time um I pitched because I knew that I was gonna be hyped up about this team. Uh it felt special. They felt ahead of schedule. And for some reason, like, and listen, I have been wrong about this a billion times. They got George Bell, and I'm in elementary school telling people this is the year in like 90 or whatever. Like, I thought 2004 for sure they were going to come back. They got Moise Salou. They got, um, I mean, like, God damn, dude. Like, I thought Maddox they got that year too, right? Like, or, but 
Or that could have been later. But like no, I they, felt... they got Maddox that year. Their five starters were Wood, Pryor, Clement, Maddox, and Zambrano. Because I believe I told my roommate, Mike Holmes, he didn't have to pay me uh, for like any of the bills for utilities. If I could go to the game where Nomar was debuting with the Cubs at Wrigley and Maddox was going for his 300th win. <laughs> Which he didn't get because he got in San no. Francisco. But yeah, yeah still, yeah. that's pretty sweet. But uh, yeah, so I had thought that before, but I was like, but for the whole season, I did like a weekly blog for like these dudes who had this like, um, what was it called? It was called, uh, fuck, I forgot what it's called, but my, my thing was called Ange- Angelino in the Outfield. And it was like me just talking about games, talking about how I felt about it, giving like a historical perspective on it. Cause that's, I, I love the history of baseball and it's readily available and most people don't know it. And it was fun, man. And it like, and I, I felt like it was, they felt historically good. The run differential, you know, towards, uh, towards the all-star break, things started to fall apart. Uh, and the Giants went ahead of them. And, of course, it's an even year. So people are – and also I had I'd also felt that the coverage of baseball was fucking horrible at this point. Like saying that the Giants were going to win because it was an even year was like believing in dragons to me. <laughs> and that qualified as like baseball analysis on television. People got paid – to be like the year ends in a six. Just because like, they had won in 2010, 2012, 2014. I know such a stupid thing. And I was so mad that I wasn't at the game where the Cubs had swept the giants out. You know, they'd won next, the next game, you know, coming down from being down four runs, winning six, five, what, you know, what a great comeback. And, Oh, I was so badly want to be there because the giant fans around me were insufferable. That might have been now I'd been gone to a regular season game when Jason Hayward made that insane catch that put him out for a little bit. And uh so I had liked that experience, but then I went to that playoff game and I remember being like, I think Giants fans are terrible. Next time a Dodger fan stabs one, I'll be like, they probably had it coming. You know, like they just were so awful. They kept screaming 1908, 1908. And I remember when the Cubs won. That was a thing. I don't know if maybe I'm just crazy like that. Did you have any of that when the Cubs won the World Series? They got that last out. Did you so badly think, I can't wait to rub it in this person's face? I might go out of my way to hit up this person. You know? Of course. Because man, when in oh fuck. The, I like I was saying earlier, Cardinal fans. When they built that stadium the new the new bush they're like you know what the cubs and uh cardinals do have in common uh neither one of them have uh won it in their new stadium and then they fucking won it that year in the first year of that new bush 2011 or 2006 six yeah and i was like you fucking assholes that is such a good joke (laughs) yeah i I give them that i'll give them that i don't give them much although i will be at the st louis uh funny bone this uh thursday through saturday that's actually true the gateway to the west there you go the you know nelly he was great Uh, that's one of the greatest music videos of all time you know uh yeah i listen 
I hated them because they were good. I didn't hate them because they were like I didn't hate shitty teams. You know, I mean, like the Cardinals were good. Yeah, I have no hate in my heart for the Pittsburgh Pirates. You know, I just don't. Right. Right. I can't. I want us to beat them, but I can't hate them. Yeah, maybe later. I mean, if they ever get good. I mean, when we beat them in the wild card game in 2015, that was dope. That guy punched that cooler, and I was like, fuck you. That year, 2015, though, I remember at the end of that year, us talking, being like, man, that was so special. I didn't want that year to ever end. And even though they didn't win, it still felt great because it kind of like marked that we had arrived. We had eliminated the Cardinals from the playoffs. That wild card game, like when Schorber hit that ball in the Allegheny, we all kind of, we were all talking like, doesn't this just feel like, no, worth it? Like it felt like, Breaking Bad was pretty popular at the time or just wrapped up. And there's that great thing where Heisenberg, he's saying that I am the one who knocks. And that's why I yes. kept telling Cubs fans. Yes. That's when I really shifted into being a super positive Cubs fan or as positive as I can be. Um, you know, I get down to the dumps. I watch the games too when they're playing like crap. And I got to remind myself to stay off Twitter because when they're playing bad and I'm scrolling through and they're like, this team sucks. It's like, yeah, we're watching the same game, man. You don't have to do play by play with all your tweets because you're driving me up the wall. Yeah, I mean, do you remember in 2017 that crazy game five against the Nationals? Yes. It was weird to feel like, man, this game is crazy, but we're going to win this. So, I mean, like that was the way that I felt. I didn't feel cursed. You know what I mean? So, like, that, but to me, to go, they had to go through the Giants that year because magical thinking has to be defeated in order for this team that is held down by magical think like we have the curse is so important. The even year thing is so important. Those two things both getting exploded. Like it was perfect. And it, but I really wanted to go through Daniel Murphy because I made him a villain in my blog because of the year before, like the fact that he was good that in 2016 like really bothered me because he was such like a fluke in that playoffs. Such a weird career. That guy, because I remember his career high in home runs was like 13 or something. And then all of a sudden he hits like seven in one postseason. Yeah. And everyone's like Daniel Murphy, Daniel Murphy. And even the Mets were like, we're not going to resign him because he went nuts in this one playoff. So we're not going to give him 20 million or some insane number, but the nationals ended up paying up and he was pretty good for the first, what, two years of that three-year contract. He was like, he could have, if you could have made a case to me that he should have been NL MVP in 2016, even though obviously Bryant, but you could have made a case that he, I mean, that he, I think he maybe got second or third. He was, I think second or you know, top three in voting for sure. Off the top of my head. Yeah. But I know the Giants beat the Mets in the wild card game that year. Yeah, Syndergaard versus Bumgarner. And I believe it was like one of the greatest pitching duels of all time. And then they had that uh oh fucking uh that game where um Javi Baez hit the longest basket home run of, of all time. Against Cueto. Yeah, uh Johnny Cueto versus Lester and Javi Baez hits this moonshot, no doubt upper deck blast that barely cleared the fence. If that makes any sense. We watched in your apartment and I remember right when he made contact, all of us just jumped in the air already celebrating. And then it's like, Pagan at the, I'm like, how did that, the wind was howling in, but still in my brain, I'm like, that is Waveland bound. He hit that ball under, like that ball goes past Kingman's home run. 
and he pimped the hell out of it too. He stopped. He checked his watch. Oh. He did like a bat flip. Oh, he that went. was he made it sexy, baby. Like yes, he did, and then it landed in the fucking basket. And they like razzed him a little bit for it, but I was like, hey man, it counts the same as a fucking blast. It sure does. It's one tripper on the bases. Cubs won that game one nothing. Yeah. And I remember when we won game four in that amazing comeback fashion. Mm. So many and Ben Zobers, man, so clutch. And he was the type of hitter the Cubs were missing really the last, definitely in 2020. And, you know, he's the whole 2019 thing with him, Harry, to take time out for personal reasons. He was the type of bat that really helped that Cubs team because when you have so many guys who are high strikeout guys, having a Zobris there in the middle who's such a high contact guy. And Rizzo's a high contact guy too. So you have a few, a couple people like that missing that bat really hurt. But anyway, focusing on the Giants series. Everyone was so worried. They're like, thank God we won game four because I did not want to face Cueto again. And I kept telling people, I'm like, the Giants didn't want to face Lester again. That's the type of thinking you need to have. Right. It's hard to break that. It's hard to break that. Uh, I'm so happy that we did. I Although game... I'm almost sad low, right, in a way? I've had, I love points because they want to change it, but... Yeah. I. It almost makes it puts me in like a whole new mental space. Like it's whole new real mental real estate that I don't know what to do with. It's like um, after you get married or after you've had sex for the first time when you're like in high school or whatever, or, or at marriage. Yeah. Um, Or after you got drunk for the first time, there is no more. What if, or after you have kids, like you don't have imaginary kids in your head. Do you know what I mean? Like when I have a son one day, like you have fucking kids. Like it changes your mental map of like what is of your reality. The team that was never going to win that I always hoped one day would win. I actually watched fucking win. And what does that mean for my worldview? What does that mean for me at the beginning of every season? Is it as meaningful going for, I mean like Ike Barinholtz, your best friend made a fucking documentary about that. Uh, I've not checked that documentary and um, he, I would be surprised if I bumped into him, if he knew who I was. No, uh, I, I was in a Cubs commercial that ran during the second half of the 2018 season with Ike Barinholtz in which uh, it's mostly Ike, but I do have one. The only other person was a line in it where he uh, confronts me in the bathroom. It was the whole everybody in campaign where he's like, you know what I'm talking about brother? And I was like, dude, we're in a bathroom. Come on. And um, I think that was the line. Anyway, though, but yeah, I got to check. I still haven't seen that documentary for whatever reason. I'm usually all over Cubs documentaries. You're right. There is a thing about, look, I'm still, it's in my DNA. I'm still obsessively going to follow the Cubs, but there is every now and then part of me when I watch like game seven highlights or the Cubs parade or just all the moments of that magical 2016 season where I think to myself, I'm like, it's really never going to be as good as that again. But luckily I then pump myself up by saying, no, because when they win the World Series next time, it'll be a new experience, and that will be exciting again. And maybe there'll be new people to experience that with, or you know, you might be in a different circumstance in your life where you're like, "Oh, now I get to experience that." Um, you know, I'll be able to experience it with my sons. Hopefully, they'll be old enough to remember, or actually, hopefully, yeah. it happens this year, and I'll just make them remember because I always want it to happen. There's just different like things to look forward to. I try to tell myself, but you're right. There was definitely this weird like meta. And I think you had a great tweet where you're like, Hey, the Cubs did that thing. We were told they would never do like the Cubs did that thing. I like how you called it that thing. 
because there was our whole life as Cubs fans, people were just like, never going to happen. Ah, never good. Like, ne- and, and the way they would epically lose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I remember hearing Boston Red Sox fans and the Red Sox bring losing to an art form. I'm like, you bastards. You're just East Coast. You guys have nothing on us. I mean, obviously Buckner was horrific and all that stuff. And Bucky. He's wearing a Cubs, he's wearing a Cubs batting glove. Yeah, that's right. And the people use that. That's so like your curses are so like they're digging up our stuff. Um, but yeah, I we just got 84 Cubs fans got to witness that. I was born that year, so I didn't really deal with that. And then I got to deal with 2003, my heart being just stomped on. Um, and then yeah. I'll, and the White Sox win the World Series and have another fan base up my ass just being like, oh, yeah. you know. Um, and then the Cardinals being the Cardinals. And yeah, so it's just the watch the 20. Again, I would never change anything about 2016 when they got the final out what was your reaction because sadly you and i were not together for that moment um i was with with brendan and we were both so close to the tv that i hugged brendan before i hugged my wife (laughs) which and then i laid down on the ground and i uh and I just kind of like laughed and screamed and my wife taped the whole thing. I think that I wanted her because she took pictures of me, you and Brendan when they clinched. And there's that picture. I just have my arms raised um, and you and Brendan have your hands over your mouths. Like, and it's such a great, I wish the lighting was better, but as far as pictures like that go, like it's such a great picture. So I figured that, she was going to want a similar photo, which is why I didn't rush over to her. But I, but you know, you celebrate, you scream, you, uh, and then you, I, I called my dad, like I always thought I would. And we, we did, I got to do that in my life. I got to call my dad and like cry and laugh and yell, we fucking did it. We did it. Like, I can't believe it. And, uh, I had champagne and beers delivered. And I was drinking at this point. Brendan wasn't. But then I, but I had a, I gave him a little, a little sip of champagne. I figured like that's fine to say. I don't want to. It wasn't Brendan, but it was a guy who looked like Brendan. Don't and worry he, about it. If, if <laughs> Brendan McGowan, I'm not saying his last name now. Um, he, he fell off the wagon just for the Cubs win the World Series. He that's had a, a little, sip, yeah, he had a, he had a little sip of champagne. I, don't, I can't say if it was Brendan or not. He kept saying uh, stuff about bird dogging and uh, uh, yeah, but yeah, it was it was so that it was that uh, fucking. Uh, I got to do the things that I pictured doing. I guess that is yeah. So it was that was dream come true scenario because you always imagine what will I do when they get the last. Die? I used to think I'll probably just. There was a commercial. There there was a there was commercials for it. Yeah. There was like a in the game uh, EA Sports like his old man cuts his beard off and it's like you watch that and you're just like fuck that looks awesome. I know. I used to fantasize about it all the time. I remember like listening to Eddie Vedder's "One Day They'll Go All the Way" yeah. song and I was already kind of drunk, but I remember crying. Yeah, yeah. Hearing that song yes. before they won the World Series and after they won it, I, I don't. I used to listen to that song regularly. That song maybe came out after 2008 and. Um, I remember there was like the hundred year. Everyone thought they'd win in two thousand eight because of the hundred year anniversary and all that. 
And that team was a great team, but they bought into it. That was really, you're right, man. There's something about that young 2016 Cubs. They were like, we're too young to give a shit about this whole curse thing. And I remember the whole, the Chicago media that year was really great. Granted, we were both living in LA, but I was following along enough where nobody was bothering them about it because they were just excited to watch the product on the field because they, of what they did in 2015 and how young they were and how we had Theo Epstein and we had smart people in charge and we felt like a smart organization for the first time ever. And that's what it was about. And Joe Madden had this cool, calm demeanor where he was just very chilled out, came off like an old hippie guy and he was drinking red wine. Wine and he's like, it's gonna be fine. We're gonna we're gonna wear pajamas on the flight. You know, he just yeah. had that vibe. And then and then later we found out that again, this is not a knock on Joe Man. I'll forever be appreciative of him. I, if I'm starting a young team that needs that guy, I think he's perfect for that. When when players become veterans, they're a little bit like, I'm betting seventh now. What happened? You know, what I mean, every every day's a new lineup. Why are we taking Kyle Hendricks out after eight, 65 pitches and it's he's cruising? Stuff like that, yeah. which I don't know if you saw what he did tonight. Uh, Shohei Otani was doing great, but then he ran into trouble. And I'm scrolling Twitter because I, I had the game on, but then I went to the bathroom. And I'm checking Twitter like you do on the shitter, Twitter shitter. What do you think? And everyone's just like, typical Joe Madden. He's letting him throw his on. He's like, everyone's like, Kyle Hendricks would get into a little bit of trouble yanking him. He's just letting Shohei just, he has no feel for the game or the bullpen. I don't know why I'm going off on Madden tie right now. There's no need for that. <laughs> but dude, it was just such an emotional journey that it feels great that I don't have to worry about that anymore. Oh but it also, it, it makes it makes you want more. Like, there's too many weird occurrences to make it feel like the thing that we imagined isn't real, like that curse, right? Like you talked about, you named all of the things. And of course there's like, you know, all of the things that happened, like this is how many stitches are in a ball. This is how many years it was like, Hey man, you started to be like, it's not a coincidence that it was like this. It was meant to be. But if you go back to 1945, to Billy fucking Cyanus with his goat. He goes on the field. They let him bring his goat onto the field. Right? Like, like, what are you mad about? You walked into Wrigley Field with a goat. And, like, it makes no news. It's not in the fucking paper. It's not in the trib. So this guy lives his whole fucking life. He also pulls a lot of other stunts. like. The Republican National Convention is in Chicago in like 44, let's say. And he's like, puts a big sign out in front of his restaurant that's like, no Republicans allowed. This dude's a publicity hound. And no one gives a shit about, like he does that for the press. Definitely, Uh, yeah. And so no one gives a shit about any of the like, uh, the Billy Goat curse shit until Billy Cyanus dies in 1970. And what had just happened in 69 was the black cat and all of this shit. So the family, uh, like which owns the Billy Goat Tavern, kind of concocts this legendary story about the dude and post dates it to 1945. I don't know if you're like, know much about the history of the country but in 1945 there's a lot of other important shit happening and yeah. and like this is a famous series for how fucking shitty the players were in it 
So this dude's like, I've cursed this team. You're not going to win no more. Like, also, they did win games after he said that in that fucking series. It's like none of it makes any fucking sense until you realize they fucking postdated it after the guy died to after 1969 to explain back to give their own place this legendary origin story. It's garbage. And it always was garbage. I mean, obviously, people were saying this like, dude, of course it was. What the fuck is wrong with you? It's just like, well, you got to realize how fucking seriously people took this shit. They did. I bought into I didn't really buy into it because I never wanted to buy into curses and stuff like that. But I remember at one point being like, I think it was after 08, maybe, because I'm like, it's been over 100 years now. I cannot believe it's gotten to the 100 year mark. And 03 was very hard. I was, you know, 18, 19. I was, I was emotional abuse, it felt like. And I remember just having a moment <laughs> to myself where I'm like, you know what? I'm an animal lover, but if it, let's, let's bring a goat into Wrigley Field and blow its fucking brains out on the goddamn mound because I am so, whatever we could do, maybe that would make it worse. But I don't know. I was just so right. adamant and I wanted, and the fan base bought into it. You know what I mean? I talked about on the on the first episode of tw- the 2021 season of this podcast with the Dom, director of Morale for Chicago Cubs, about how I was glad the 2015 wildcard game was on the road because I didn't want, say we went down one nothing. I didn't want that aura because the Cubs, like after 07, 08, I remember just being at games where they'd go down a run and people would just be like mad because they became so close to 03. There's a post 03 Cubs fandom where just every little thing was just that oh, there we go that's going to be the highlight i see the rest of my life and i'm like it's yeah. it was a bloop single chill dude i mean you talked about that mornings. you talked about that on that voicemail that you left me when i was doing this thing called my favorite game which if you're on youtube uh and you type in type in joe kilgallen my favorite game it's on my page joe did the first one ever i just told him to leave me a voicemail about his favorite baseball game ever and then i made a video out of it one take and, <laughs> One take, Timmy, and you, and that's what something that uh, Will Wayne would say. Oh, he's a, I deserve a an Oscar, a Grammy, and an Emmy. That's what he would say. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, you were talking about how like you're gonna they're gonna cut to the crowd that every sports producer knows the move. You cut to the Cubs fan in the audience who looks rich and sad as fuck. <laughs> And you cut to another one. Maybe they got their head in their hands. It's it's the classic every time they're in the playoffs thing. It's what you do. And in the game, Javi Baez made two fucking errors. People forget it, though. It's a, it's a footnote. And that was did. where Madden strength was. Madden strength as a manager was taking the pressure off the players, especially young players. Yeah. And and I think that that shit worked. I think because oh, oh maybe it was Pinella. Like whenever something bad luck would happen, he called it cubby occurrences or something like that. And I was like, that's such a self fulfilling prophecy. Like if the fans are thinking it, we're cursed. We're cursed. Yeah, they're going to get asked about it in the media, and the players are going to start to believe it too. And so you're just going to have this like we are cursed we're never going to win mentality that, I mean, everybody had to feel it. So I'm glad that this team came along and destroyed that shit. 
We are the one who knocks. Yes. Damn straight. Heisenberg, baby. All right, let's preview or let's, well, we'll recap uh, this weekend of the Cubs took two out of three from the Pirates and I'll get your thoughts on the 2021 season. I'll just say this. Craig Kimbrell, everyone listening, has looked dominant in his two outings. Yes, I know it's the Pirates, but dominance is dominance. They're still major league hitters, right? And uh, everyone's surprised by that, but that shows me you weren't really watching last season because after maybe his fourth or fifth outing of last year, Kimbrell had like a 10 outing streak in a row of two K's an inning and was first very impressions are important. And he had a bad first impression. So he did. No, he had a bad cause he had two years in a row with no spring training because you know, he, he wasn't signed right away. Both him and Dallas Keuchel had that thing where they didn't get signed until like June of that year. Cause you know, that's when I, I don't know. There's a, well, I mean, I'll have you on the podcast again when we talk about the CBA and stuff like that, because there was weird contract stuff back then. And the contract stuff now seems even crazier. Anyhow. Um, so he didn't get spring training that year. And I don't know, it sounds like maybe it's an excuse or maybe it's a reason everyone listening. And then last year with the pandemic, he's just a dude at this stage of his career, he's still pumping 97, 98 or so, but he definitely needs to get those innings logged in to find his groove. He had a rough spring training, but nobody was worried about it. Nobody in the Cubs. I was like, yeah, it's spring training, which we have to remind ourselves. Sometimes pitchers are working on new grips. They're just kind of messing around a little bit. And so far he looks sometimes like they a got guy. One eye, sometimes they got one eye closed. Yeah, just messing Trevor, around. But yeah, he definitely looks like vintage Kimbrel. Um, Chris Bryant looks way better at the plate. There's just uh, there's some early signs. Obviously, the first game they lose five three and look bad. Oh yeah, dude, Hayward put a ooh put a hurt on that baseball. Yeah, I'm excited to get uh, K boom text messages from from <laughs> Cubs fans stuff like that. Yeah, yeah Arietta's back. I mean, come on. Yeah, Arietta looks. Uh, they were showing his curveball drop is back to where it was in the Cubs days. Cause I, they were showing, I saw this, uh, I want to say shout out to Brian Smith of um, Bleacher Nation. I think he's the one that showed this number of like what the drop was. And like last year, the drop was terrible and he was bad last year, Arietta. And the, the, you know, both these years with the Phillies, the drop just wasn't there. And now the drop, from just the one game, small sample size, of course, is back to where when he was dominating. You know, the fastball is not going to be back to 96, 97 or so. Or, eh, he was more 95, 96 with it. But if he's throwing 91, 92, and he's still getting his pitches to go downwards, and he's getting outs, this is a, a team with a good defense behind our pitching staff. Zach Davies looked very strong today. Um, I don't know. I'm just I'm just excited that there's baseball back. And I don't know. What do you think of this, this 2021 Cubs? They're playing in a bad division. We know that. Um, I've seen the predictions are all over the place. I think that I have to decide if I want them to try to surprise some people and win 88 games, or if I want them to give me a year off, (laughs) quite frankly. So, uh, I think that, you know, they're, their big offensive guys look poised to have like big comeback years. They have a lot of talented players, a lot of things that are not tangible, like in the scouting reports or in the stat sheets, rather like Baez. Um, that central division looks like it's who are people taking the Cardinals and Brewers? Like I am never impressed with Milwaukee. And I mean, the car, no, I, I think the Cubs could take it. They took it last year. They lost you Darvish. And I mean, they, they still have a lot of talent on that team. And I, and I'm going to root for them because that there's still remnants of that Joe Madden 16 team that I love, you know, 
Yeah, so they'll always have a special place in my heart. I think it's strange with the Cubs because they really put themselves in such a weird position. And, you know, we could have another podcast. You know, it's too late in the podcast to really dive into, like, the financials and, this, you know, whatever they're going. I think they spent so much on the renovation that they messed up that budget, and it's sadly leaked into this. And then the pandemic happened and, and whatever. We could get into another thing about that. And, and and I won't hold back. I'll be honest with all my thoughts on that. They're in a strange spot, though, because everyone thought the Darvish trade meant that they were going to just go full rebuild mode. But they didn't right. really show that because if you're going full rebuild, you're not going to – why sign Jock Peterson? Why bring, in, why bring back Jake Arrieta? All that kind of stuff, right? I think maybe the Darvish trade was they did need to uh, alleviate some payroll this year for whatever reason, maybe because of the losses on the other side of, you know, the baseball business for the Cubs, you know, with the renovation, like I just said. But they're in a weird spot because so many people are like, oh, there's all these one-year contracts. Bryant and Javi and Rizzo, Zach Davies, Kimbrell, right? They could even trade Contreras when he has another year on his contract after uh, the 2021 season. And I'm thinking, okay, but for those players that have max value, they have to be playing well, right? So if they're all playing well, you're not trading them when you're in first place. There's just no scenario. Like I keep thinking about Craig uh, Kimbrell, right? People always need another reliever, especially an elite one. In order for you to get anything back for Kimbrell, who's making 15 or 16 million, he has to be pitching well. If he's pitching well and racking up saves, the Cubs are in the hunt. Okay. So there's just no way. And if Bryant is the Bryant that he's been, a reminder, listeners, every year Chris Bryant has played a full season, he's been all star level. He's oh been my at God. least yeah. five war every year he's played a full season. And so here's the lowest with a five war. So if he's back to being Chris Bryant, I don't see a scenario. And if bias is back to the bias before 2020 pandemic, I don't see a scenario in which this team is not in first place. So here's a weird scenario. They're hovering above 500, but not, they're going to win like n- not enough for a wild card or they, there could be in contention for a wild card. And they just trade bait all of these guys to contenders and load up on like, like who knows what, you know what I mean? Like I know you. It's that's what I said. Whenever I say out loud, like there's all these one year contracts, and I definitely think they're going to eventually come up to come to a deal with Rizzo. They'd be insane not to. And then I thought maybe at the end of the year they'll just choose between who had the better season between Bryant and Baez and then go all in on that person. You have Contreras for another year, Haps under control for a few years, Nico Horner's on the come up. Uh if Jack Peterson's great, you have a one I didn't even mention Jack Peterson's trade bait, but you have an option on him. And then some of the younger guys are getting further along. Who knows where Braylon Marquez could be? Uh Brennan Davis is a stud who I think could be in the outfield in 2022. There's just so many exciting things with the Cubs, but also things as a fan where you're like, oh man, what if they just what if there's just some bad luck? They go on a 10-game skid right into the trade Fire deadline. Fire in July. And they're just like, all right, bye-bye, Brian. Bye-bye, Baez. Bye-bye, you know, I don't even want to say some Rizzo. And that's the nail in the coffin of the 2016. Because like in 16, the Yankees get the, – the Yankees unload Chapman and Andrew Miller. And they're still like right there. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, of course they get – you know, Chapman back and, you know, that was, I mean, they get right back into the hunt 2017 Aaron judge comes up, like all this stuff happens, but like, I don't want to be the 2016 Yankee. 
if that makes I, sense. I don't either. And I've only referenced the 2016 Yankees to remind Cubs that rebuilds when you are a major market team and have the highest ticket prices in baseball and your franchise is the fourth highest rated, uh, you know, ranked franchise financially. And you know, as far as net worth goes, there's no reason to, to even stand for a long rebuild. The reason I was totally cool with the rebuild that Theo brought in was because the Cubs prior to hiring him just before the 2012 season, they weren't even operating in the same century as other teams. There were stories that the scouts didn't even have cell phones and nobody knew how to use Microsoft Excel. And like, there was just the infrastructure of the team needed it where it's like, we need to tear this down to the studs, rebuild the right way. And yeah, we're going to be bad these two years. They were honest. They were transparent. Theo told yeah. you right away, it's going to be bad, but then it's going to be amazing for a while. And yeah, we went to the playoffs five of the last six years, won a world series, a few NLCSs, had some really exciting players. People are bummed we didn't win another one, but you know sometimes baseball is going to baseball. There's some breaks along the way. Our our shortstop who was predicted to be the next Barry Larkin turned out to be a, a huge piece of shit. And and then there were some injuries, and then some other stuff, and then a pandemic. So I try to have that perspective when I talk to fellow Cubs fans because baseball's going to baseball. Yeah, I mean that's true. Like look at the Dodgers. The Dodgers had have had a great farm system since Jackie Robinson. Uh, super high payroll for the last twenty years or so. And they've won. They won the World Series last year, but hadn't won it since 1988. And they had way more things going right for them than the Cubs. And that was, and, uh, that was branch. That was a Branch Rickey reference. That it sure did. was. But seriously, the Dodgers really have. I don't care who's running them. They've had a great farm system. How many rookie of the years system. have they had? Like a zillion, right? So many rookies of the year. And and look, Andrew Friedman's great at his job, but he also inherited a 95 win team the year before. And also Seeger and Bellinger, those guys were drafted by the previous GM, not Andrew Friedman. Because I, I know a lot of people who are like, Andrew Friedman has dethroned Theo as the best GM of the last decade. I'm like, no, it's still Theo. You break two curses, it's still, still you. You don't get dethroned uh, by a guy who's inherited a bunch of better things. Than also, you. if you want to talk about Theo and bring up the Dodgers, does fucking Mookie Betts count? Yeah. That was Theo's last draft with Boston. He drafted Mookie Betts in the sixth round. Talked him out of being a professional bowler, which he ended up doing on the side anyway. That's Man, I hate it. When I was doing that 2016 uh, thing, it makes me laugh how much I was hating on Mookie Betts that season. I hated everything about the Red Sox that year because I felt like ESPN is either somebody blowing the Mets or blowing the Red Sox. And that was Poppy's last season, and he was amazing in 2016. And I just hated them. The Indians ended up like I think sweeping that team, but I was but like I would shit on Mookie Betts just because ESPN liked him so much. But now you know he's such a. I mean, no, I get it, man. There's times with the team you can't stand them. Um, like right now, like right, as soon as the Cardinals acquired Nolan Arenado, I'm like. Pfft garbage outside of Coors he's not I'm like literally I just decided I didn't like him anymore even though I'd really no problem with him previously that's how much no one respects the Rockies is that dude can win like the home run title every year and a gold glove every year and people are like fucking plays in Coors yeah it really is there's something there's a Coors effect to it I'm still shocked at DJ LeMay although Yankee Stadium's easy too but DJ LeMay last two seasons with Coors yes. and actually, if you look yeah, his whole career with Colorado, he only had one season where he was above 100 for uh, uh, weighted runs created plus. So that means he had one season where he's above average. In 2016, he won the batting title. That was the only year I think he had like a 114. Yeah. 
Uh, and every year, the last two years, especially because I remember when he was a free agent, Cub fan friends of mine were like, Cub should get DJ LeMahieu. I'm like, second baseman who can't hit, especially he's Darwin Barney outside of Coors Field. Why do we want to get him? Look deeper into the stats. Outside of Coors, he was like a 690 OPS. I mean, you, I'm like, could I say, you could say it was 2020 stats are kind of weird, but. But no, I mean, well, DJ LeMahieu was good in 2019. Was it 2019 or 2020? That he, he won a batting title last year, didn't he? In the, he in did, the... and he won one. He's won. He won one in uh, Colorado, which I, again is Coors. But no, right, he's right. he's been elite, elite with the Yankees. Now I was kind of shocked. Has. By that. Yeah, yeah, he could have won an MVP last year. Did you see what happened with Nick Castellanos and the Cardinals? And we'll wrap it up on that. By the way, I I, I tried to keep this podcast close to an hour, but whenever I talk to Bridenstine, I know we just you give me good stuff, buddy. Okay, I, I, I this is another thing that we've talked about before. But and, and I think I know what you're gonna say with this Castellanos thing, but I think Yadi Molina has had sex with his mom. <laughs> Are you going back to when he went nuts on that one manager? I think Castellanos goes like, "Yeah, motherfucker," and uh, Yadi heard that, and he goes, "Castellanos knows I fucked my mother. I can't just let this go. I." I, Yadier Molina, have sex with my own mother. I have to fight someone. He's That's what I sure. think happened. That's what I think happened. I don't want to talk out of school. Yadier Molina fucks his mom. Little backstory. He got nuts on a manager and said, called him a motherfucker. And he reacted in like a he way. Fucks his mom. He was like, dude, motherfucker's not that bad unless you really do it. How long have you played in the United States, man? People say motherfucker. It's a thing that people say. They could call you that. Like, you'd be like, oh, man, I love this motherfucker. <laughs> Sometimes it's good. It's a thing. People say you've played in St. Louis for so long, man. I think you fuck your mom. I love that we're ending the podcast on that note. It's so beautiful, dude. Well, also, let's end on this note, too, because you're such a big Hall of Fame guy. You're a big fan of Jay Jaffe. Tell people why Yadier Molina is not a Hall of Famer. See? Okay. Or have you changed your mind on that? You know how we just said Javi Baez. There's no Javi Baez stat that really shows you how awesome he is. That's true because he does so many little things. Like we talked about that one year in Fangraphs tagging, article. Tagging people. Yeah, the tagging thing is so like there's no stat to show how elite his tagging is and how it changes the game. And there was also that one stat where him being on the bases messes with the other team where it caused errors. And I remember Fangraphs dug deep into it being like, what is this? Like we've never seen a player like this before where you're combining all these just different ways to like – affect the game whether it's a, a no look tag or he's going back and forth and it causes the catcher to throw the ball into the outfield and every car the cardinals are smart fans they're not they're racist tr trash people but they understand like baseball a little bit because it's the only sport that they have because they are garbage well the but, blues won the cup recently but anyway i'm sorry <laughs> yeah that's true fuck <laughs> i forgot my neighbor head to toe in blues gear uh but all of them love Yadi Molina, and I can't look at a stat and be like, he's a Hall of Famer. And, like, he's not the greatest catcher of his generation. Like, Buster Posey 
is so much better than him. Like the case for it, like his, when was he the best catcher in the league? Like maybe one year. Like it's so it's it's such a weak case for him, but they believe it so much that there must be something intangible about his leadership or something. Like I was like, if there's a catch, this is one before Ted Simmons was in. I was like, if there's a case for a catcher that's a cardinal to be in the Hall of Fame, why is no one talking about Ted Simmons? But they want they Yadi Molina, Yadi Molina. So I, until Javi Baez came along and was like good in a way that there was no stat to describe. Like I had to watch the game and use my eyeballs, like an old fashioned you know scout. But I do. So you're saying basically to people who don't watch the Cardinals every day, like us as baseball fans, yeah. there's something we're not seeing because the narrative is so strong. You're right. These Cardinal fans, if you say anything about Molina, they react as if he actually does fuck his mom. Right? I think that he fucks his mom. I'm glad that you mentioned that. I don't know if I've said this on the podcast yet. I think he puts his dick in his mom's vagina as an adult man in a sexual way, moves it around in there until he ejaculates. With his mom, his, his literal mom. I think he's a motherfucker. I, I hope this is the podcast episode where someone's like, you know what, Joe, we want to put you on television. Um, this show is going to be on Marquee Network. If I ever go to get a job on some, oh like, my god, if I stopped you from getting, if no, I no, this episode, no, show. if I even get interest where someone's like, hey, we like what you're doing. This is buried I'm, so fast. This is getting removed so quickly. Feel free, feel free to take this off the internet. If anybody's looking to hire Joe, listen, I'm trying to make my boy laugh with something. No, you're insane. doing it. I'm cracking up over here. I hope you're making the listeners laugh too. I'm just thinking, you know, hey. We got a new network in my city that might be trying to go. We need a fan perspective show. Does this guy have any strikes on his resume? And um, immediately I'm going to delete this one quickly or move it to the Patreon. <laughs> I will not be offended. No, definitely not. Dude, but seriously, man, this was a fun uh, hour, 25 minute podcast. I hope everyone listened to the end because the end was the best for me. Uh, I'm laughing real hard over here. Uh, Brido, I feel like, is going to be a, a regular throughout this 2021 season obviously the goal of this podcast is to interview people about why they love the cubs and um how special the chicago cubs are as well as the best sport it's the best sport you all know it is it means it's summer you go get a hot dog you go get a a beer you have a conversation with someone and it's 2021 you can get back to the game this year fucking do that shit apps amen on that man i agree with everything you just said but yeah we will be covering the games themselves and and talking about the history of the game and just trying to make you love the Cubs as much as I love the Cubs. And of course, as much as much as Brian Stein love the Cubs. Maybe I should share a link to our old Comedians Talking Baseball podcast because even though we haven't done it since the 2019 season. You're going to want to hide a lot of those too if Marky comes. Calling. Yeah, you're probably right. All right, good call, good call. Brian, I'll <laughs> tell people where they can find you. Um, Hawk with Mike Brian Stein is my show. I, I don't talk as much about baseball, but I do a lot of current events on there. And that's wherever you're listening to this, it's it's on those things. And if you want to go to – again, if you want to look up me talking about sports, uh, the World Series uh, specifically from 1903 to 1949, I'm working on 1950 right now, it's on Patreon.com slash In the $1 tier, there's a lot there, but that's the most baseball-specific. Awesome, dude. And yeah, Joe's, Joe's on a lot of the shows. Joe's uh, listeners love Joe, and we love having Joe on. Joe, as you guys know, is amazing. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone for listening to the true blue Cubs podcast. And as always go Cubs.